morning, St. Michael's, please stand. Lord, we come before you today with thanksgiving. We thank you for the love that you have shown us, the fierce love that brought us freedom from sin and from the grave, Lord. And we come before you humbly and in thanksgiving. In your name we pray. Amen.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved You with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in Your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
Please. 
God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Children. All right. The army assembles. Off to training. <laughs> Excellent group. I like you people. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would especially bless and anoint all these young people, Lord God, as they go off to learn about you and to hear from you, Lord God, and we pray that you would give them a great and wonderful destiny in your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Did it get you? 
<laughs> All those smiles. This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, beginning in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 51, verses 1 through 11. We'll read Psalm 51 responsively by the half verse. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Make me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do not cast me away from your presence. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Please be seated. This morning's second lesson comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, 
Beginning in chapter 1, verse 12, commencing. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. St. Luke, chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. So today is a momentous day. As I'm sure many of you know, it's uh, September 11th. And it's an, it's fortuitous as God often does. He has aligned something that I think it weaves perfectly into what we're going to be talking about today in the Passover. I took this class in college. It was actually the hardest class that I ever took. Uh, I got a C in it, which is for me, like I was appalled. I got a C. Are you kidding? Uh, and I actually took a half class with this professor this, the next semester, one that I didn't need to take, but just so I could prove to him that I was an A student. And I got an A in that half class. So, you know, pat myself on the back. 
I'm exposing my arrogance and pride here. But I had this competitive urge to succeed, and this guy rightly judged me at the level of my abilities, right, in that class. But there was things that stuck with me because this guy, we're taking a psych of memory course, and he gives these exams where you have to remember what you learned. And no matter how often he told us, this is how you remember these things. This is how you do these things. Most of the people in that class didn't do so hot. But what I learned by looking at the science of how we remember things has stuck with me to this day. We watch these videos of these people who have these debilitating disorders where they have a brain injury or some sort of uh, defect and they can't remember their past. And it completely takes them out. There is something about remembering that is integrally, it's absolutely interwoven with how we view our own identity and those around us. You see these posts all over the internet today. Remember September 11th. Remember 9-11. Remember. Why do we do that? Because it's, rem- it's important to remember who we are, where we've been, how that defines us as a people. But one step further, and this is something that I think that we as a people of, as Christian people, as the church, need to do for our culture, is we need to remember things the way that God remembers them, right? There are many situations in our life that if you invite God into your memory of that situation, he will overwhelm your idea of what happened with his idea of what happened. And the majority of the Old Testament is the people of Israel, as we read about on a near weekly basis, rebelling against God, suffering tragedy, going through the worst situations, and then God tells them what was happening in those situations. And Passover is no different. Passover is a situation where we're reading from the perspective of God guiding the author to tell us our history. When we read the Exodus, we're reading our history as the people of God. And we're remembering our history as the people of God. And we're learning how God wants to interact with us today. I'm not going to do a huge overview of where we've been, but you know the story. You've probably seen the movie Prince of Egypt a couple times, at least in my house. We've seen it quite a bit. And we are dealing with the people of Israel who God has chosen out of the entire earth to bring them forward as his people that will be the witness of his goodness to the entire world. The method, the, the means of his salvation for the whole world is going to come out of these people. And so, as God often does, he puts them in what we would consider the worst possible scenario to raise up his people. In the slavery, in the tyranny of Egypt. And then he raises up Moses, a picture of Christ as their savior. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. What do you mean? Why would I haven't heard of this God, Yahweh, who you talk about. Why would I let my slave force, my wealth, why would I just let them go? And Moses, like all of us, panics at that moment. Even though God told him Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, Moses says, God, you haven't delivered your people even at all. Like, what are you doing? And then God proceeds 
to show, and this is what we learned last week, how there is no God who can provide for you except for God. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself most fully in Jesus Christ. That's the only God who can save us. Because what had happened was the Egyptians had a long list of reasons why their gods were providing for them. They were the wealthiest, strongest nation. They lived in the most peace and comfort in their time, possibly in the history of the world. They had all of this wealth going for them. And yet, they weren't serving the one God who created all things. And so God, through the plagues, we saw the symbols. He rejected every one of the Egyptian gods and said, no, I'm the one who either gives or takes away. And all of this was not just to tell Egypt, you guys are wrong. It was to train Israel to stop going after the gods of Egypt. Because if God had just taken Israel out of Egypt, this body of slaves, and said, okay, now worship me, they wouldn't have known to give up their bondage that they had in their spirit to all these other gods. They had been raised as slaves in Egypt. And did you know if you're raised as a slave in Egypt, you're not going to immediately be able to transition into a prince in the kingdom of God. And we also learned as we talked about this, that this story is not just about a people 6,000 years ago. This story is about each of us who were slaves to sin until Jesus' saving work activated in our lives. But we pick up these habits of spirit and mind where we are acting in our spirit and our mind as if we are still slaves to sin when God has called us to be princes in his kingdom. And so when we talk about this story as God rescues these people and we see these dramatic acts as God brings his plagues and judgment against the evils of Egypt, we should remember that that same God is jealous for our worship and our attention that we're so quick to give to other places, to other things, to wealth, success. So keep that in mind as we go through quickly the story of Passover which is the final plague in Egypt, but it is way more than that. It is God's redemptive act that is fulfilled finally in Jesus. Because what did Jesus do at the Passover supper? He, got, he went through the same festival that we're going to talk about today that started when God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. And he said in the very middle of that festival, he lift up the unleavened bread that we'll read about today. He broke it and he said, you thought, Okay, I'm adding some words here to paraphrase. You thought that this broken bread was a part of God's salvation back in Egypt, but I'm telling you it's also my body broken for you. We actually do that every week. We celebrate the Passover feast as the celebrant lifts up the host and breaks the bread. That's the unleavened bread that we will talk about today. How wonderfully God has brought the salvation, his saving work into our life over the tens of thousands of years of humanity. God has continued to save. So that's what we're remembering today. As we remember 9-11, as we remember Passover, we're thinking about what is God doing in our life right now. And so we'll start in chapter 11. Yahweh said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, 
that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servant and in the sight of the people. So there's a couple things as we're leading up. And you remember right now the Egyptians have no idea what to think about this slave people who are now claiming that their God is completely destroying Egypt. I mean, locusts, darkness, frogs, the Niles turning blood. Like these are a people in shock as they see the power of God unfolded. And God says, yeah, go ahead and ask for their gold and silver. And they're so shaken by all of this. They're like, yeah, anything to get your God to stop ruining our country, right? Anything to get you out of here. And yet we see that there's actually a deeper symbolism in this because where does God find our provision in our lives today? He often finds it in the place you don't want to look. He often finds it in our weakness. He finds the way to make us strong. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think that's how the world works, that God has actually built the world to be such that actually his strength can take place in our weakness. I think it's his goodness. I wanted to tell a quick story that I think will hopefully resonate with you about these people I was reading in this book. And I think it illustrates what's happening here as the Israelites are plundering Egypt. The place of their slavery becomes the place, the source of their wealth, right? There's these marriage counselors who have a book that I read, and it's fantastic, and they have the great ministry. But they tell this story about their 15-year anniversary, where they were talking to their friend who had done their premarital counseling, their pastor. And they basically were like, our first 10 years of marriage were hell, absolute hell. Now, I know each of us who are married can probably remember a few times where our marriage didn't feel so great. I know I can. But these guys said, like, day in and day out, their marriage was torture. It was so hard. They couldn't figure it out. And then God, through his goodness, through their faithfulness to one another, they brought them through, and they were sharing this miracle. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, well, that makes plenty of sense. I totally knew that that was going to happen. And they're like, wait, what? And he goes, yeah, you remember that evaluation you filled out, you know, and then we sent it off to this psychologist, and it had family history and your temperament. He goes, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never once had anything but a score given back to me. On your papers, the psychologist wrote a note that said, do not let these people get married. They are so incompatible, I've never seen scores this low. And they're like, you didn't tell us that. And he's like, how could I have not told? That's part of the premarital. I, there's no way. That, they're like, you did not tell us that. God in his goodness allowed this professional premarital counselor to forget to tell them the results so that during those 10 years of hell, they weren't thinking, well, duh, we deserve to be incompatible. We got a test that told us so. Instead, it comes out later so that now they can write books that say, whatever you're going through in your marriage, we've gone through worse and God brought us through. That's what God does with our tyranny, our slavery, our weakness. The reason why they were fighting wasn't because they were incompatible. It was because they were fallen, broken, deceitful, arrogant humans like you and I. And when you put those two together and you make them live together, you make them raise children together, you're going to have some problems. 
But there's honey in the rock. There's things that God wants you to get out of those experiences that you would never find anywhere else. And so the Israelites come out of slavery richer than anybody in the area. They had herd, they had cattle, they had provisions, they had gold and silver. They were the richest nomadic tribe in all of the world out of slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And God did that. What can he do with your current situation that you're struggling with? What is he trying to teach you there? And so we move on as the plunder the Egyptians to this final plague. And you know what it is. He's going to take the firstborn son of all the Egyptians. He even takes the firstborn of the cattle. But remember, way back in the beginning, before Moses had confronted, the first time Moses confronts Pharaoh, God had told him this. In chapter 4, verse 21, Yahweh said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Here's the fascinating part about this verse. Every one of us, have served other gods in our life. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, at some point or another, have sacrificed our children to our own selfish desires. Or if we don't have children, we've sacrificed our future children to our own selfish desires. Every one of us is deserving of the same punishment as God is laying at Pharaoh's feet. What did Jesus say? It's better if you mislead a child. It's better that you just tie a rope around your neck and dive into the sea. And yet every one of us knows that we have fallen short. But what we learn in Passover is not how bad Egypt was, but how good God is. That he provided a redemption, a way of escape. There is not a single good thing said about the Israelites in the first 11 chapters of Exodus. There's not a single good thing. Moses learns to follow God pretty stubbornly, might I add. Aaron, maybe, he follows God pretty well. But the people of Israel are following other gods. They're deserving of the same fate as all the Egyptians. And yet, God, in his goodness, provides a way of escape, as he always does. He provides a method of salvation. So that's what we're going to read about now. What was God's method of salvation for the Jews in this time? And why did the Jews have to do all of these crazy things? Because they were under the same burden of guilt, of sin, the same slavery to sin and death as the Egyptians were. But God made a way of escape. Amen? So this is what happens in Passover. And we're just going to hit some key features here. First, he says, this month shall be the first month of the year for you moving forward. There's a movement in the world that wants to change our dating system, and it's been around for a while, from AD, BC and AD, right? Before Christ and Anno Domine, in the year of our Lord. They want to change it to before Common Era and after Common Era, or just Common Era, right? Question is, when does before Common Era start, stop and when does Common Era start? Well, it still starts and stops with Jesus. In the same way that Passover 
is the symbol of Israel's redemption that starts their year. Our year, our entire calendar is revolving around God's redemptive purposes in our life. And if we go one step deeper, that's just the whole world. If we go to you, your calendar should be organized around the times that God saved your life. The times that God set you free, the times that God redeemed you. Because like we said, this is not just a story about people 6,000 years ago. This is a story about us today being set free from the power of sin and death in our life. Do you remember all the times God has come through for you? I think that's part of why it's so encouraging to hear Father Jim preach. Because he has all the best stories about times where he was in the worst pickle and God got him out of it. We should be telling one another those stories. We should be telling our kids, our family members, the stories of when God showed up. That's why the first month of the year shall be the the month of Passover for the Israelite people. And then, as you know, there's the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But what's this whole thing about? Why do they have to kill a lamb who's under a year, who's unblemished? That seems kind of primitive, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like some pagan ritual? Like, why would they have to kill a lamb? There's a symbol here. There's a call in us to sacrifice that which is most valuable for God's salvation. Later on, we learn in the New Testament that our call is actually to be a living sacrifice. The most valuable thing you could think of when you're a nomad who wanders through deserts is your source of food and sustenance and your baby lamb that could build your herd, that could lead to feeding your family. Today, we're just called to give everything. The call is much higher today. Yeah, you don't have to go out and find a lamb or buy one at the temple, but your whole life is called to be dedicated to him. What's the point of sacrificing a lamb? The salvation of God always costs something. Now, ultimately, he paid that price. But if you're going to hold on to your, let's say, your idol worship, as we've been talking about, if you're going to hold on to the gods of Egypt, if you're going to hold on to your own ability to provide, you're pushing out room for God's grace in your life. Now, luckily, God's a lot bigger than you. And whose grip in this relationship matters, his or yours? I would say his, right? And so God will complete the work that he's begun in you, but man, let go. Maybe you don't have a lamb to sacrifice, but maybe you have your own ego. I know that's one that comes up for me regularly. I have to lay my own decision-making powers, my own intelligence, my own stubbornness. I just have to lay it down, and I have to sacrifice. We're still participating in the sacrifice of the lamb in our own lives. And then it says, kill the lambs at twilight. Well, what's that about? Well, the Israelite people started their day at twilight, right? Sunset to sunset. So what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Do you die to yourself? Do you sacrifice your lamb on the altar? Or do you go out and earn the bacon? Do you go out and protect yourself by uh, filling your head with entertainment and nonsense? I know personally that if I don't intentionally dedicate my day to the Lord, then I am very quickly all about me. And it shows. It shows. My wife knows. Hey, how was your morning? How was your time with Jesus this morning? You know, it's the same as saying, man, you're being a real jerk right now. (laughs) Where are you? Right? But there's this sense that before you go to bed in this day, right, it's like dedicate your life to the Lord. 
When you wake up, dedicate your life to the Lord. Remember, kill your lamb, that precious thing that you're holding on to. And then, of course, the Lord or the destroyer comes at midnight, in the darkest time of night. It calls forth the same language that we get about when Jesus is going to return at the end of the day, right? The point is, be prepared. I think that our largest idol that we worship as American Christians is our time. I think if you just narrowed it down to what would you care about more than anything else, I think it's our time. We want our time to watch our show, or we want our time to go fishing, or we want our time to spend at the nice restaurant. We want our time. I don't want to give up my Saturday to go build a pergola at the church, right? And yet, what does God ask of us? He asks of us our lives, everything, and especially our time. Because you don't know when God wants to move in your life. What if? There's this opportunity where God could set you free and you were sleeping when he asked you to be awake. Now, this point isn't a scare message like, oh, no, we're going to miss God if I'm not like constantly in my Bible or constantly praying all day. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is prepare your heart. God's coming, period. He's coming today. He's coming tomorrow. Every day God will come in your life and you never know when he's going to come and he's going to change everything. It happens in an instant suddenly, so open your eyes. Orient your life around the moments when God shows up. And remember them, right? Remind yourself. Be aware. Be awake. Be alive. And then he says, so what you're going to do because I'm coming at midnight is you're going to cover your lentils, your doorpost, with blood. And you're going to paint it with hyssop, which was so great because I had written this sermon before I even knew what the readings were today because I knew we were on this thing. And what are they doing? They're, they're doing that with hyssop. And what did we read in our psalm today, right? Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What's the point here? In order for us to be spiritually cleansed, there must be a death. There must be a sacrifice. It's the same thing we were talking about with the lamb. Where is God calling you to take up your cross and follow him? That's why they're spreading the blood of the lamb symbolically over their doorpost. They're saying, my whole house is dedicated to the Lord and protected by the blood of his sacrifice. Ultimately, we know that the true blood that washes us whiter than snow is Jesus, that by his stripes we are healed. By his blood we are cleansed. It's it's. It can sound so pagan or foreign, but it makes so much sense when you put it simply. It's like, yeah, we actually have to lay down our lives in order for God to resurrect us. In fact, our clearest symbol that we're told is in baptism like we have today. When you baptize a baby, they enter into death with Christ and are raised to newness of life. You're bought with a price. There but... For the grace of God go I. And then it says, no one leaves their house till morning. So they're doing all this stuff. They're having this feast where they're going to eat the lamb. They've painted their doorposts. And they say, you can't leave till morning. And as my mom often used to say, nothing good happens after 11 p.m. Why are you out, Jesse? Get back home. There is something real there. 
There's something true. I know it's a little trite. I know there are times and places to uh, have celebrations that last into the wee hours of the morning. Absolutely. But if you find yourself finding excuses to stay up late, ask yourself why. I, that's just a question. I'm not making some spiritual point here, but why are you up at midnight on your phone or on the computer or hanging out with friends or whatever it is? Is it, is it the right time? Is it the right time? There's all of this symbolism in the liturgical calendar and the covenantal relationship with the Jewish people. All of this stuff has to do with how we spend our time. And so I'm just asking, why were they not allowed to leave from twilight till morning? Well, there's a sense in which they were called to be in that one place under the covering of Jesus, under the covering of the Paschal Lamb, who we know is Jesus. And there's a sense in which you can leave the covering that God has given you if you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I'm not saying just staying up late, right? My sister works as a nurse, and she works all night long. Is she doing anything wrong doing that? No, she's working her butt off to do her job to serve people in a hospital, right? But are you at the right place in the right time? Are you under the covering? Or are you out cowboy style doing your own thing? I know I've found myself where I look around and I say, man, I'm just in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. Might not even be sinful, but I just knew it wasn't what God wanted me to be doing. So open your eyes, listen, where are you at? And then it says, eat up the lamb that night and burn up all the excess. And that's all about learning to live by God's provision and not your own. Because, man, there's a lot of good meat there that you could dry. You could turn into jerky. You could take it into the desert. You could do these things, right? You could provide for yourself out of that. And God says, no, 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 this one's mine. And you're going to trust me to provide. And then it says, eat unleavened bread with bitter herbs. What's the point of that? Bitter herbs, you're going to make it taste worse? Why would God say that? There's two reasons. Number one, unleavened bread, you don't have to sit around and wait for the dough to rise. That's what it says in the scripture. It's like you don't have any time to put yeast in your dough and wait for it to rise. God is coming suddenly. It's the same message about when God comes at midnight. You never know when God's going to come. You need to be prepared. And so you have unleavened bread, bitter herbs. To remind you of what God has saved you from. That's what it says in scripture. Why do they have bitter herbs? It says because of the suffering in Egypt, in slavery. And you think, well, that's kind of silly, God. Wouldn't they remember 400 years of slavery? You guys know in like two chapters, they're saying, Moses, why'd you take us out of Egypt? Couldn't we have died there? So yeah, the bitter herbs matter. They needed to be reminded of what they had gone through and what God had brought them through. That's our problem, too, in America. We have it too easy. The default state for civilization is suffering, slavery, and death. We wake up every morning in America with the air conditioning on and think, man, the default state is just pleasure. That's not it. We need to remember what God has saved us from. Now, I'm making this about material goods, but the same thing can be said for your spiritual goods. We are so blessed to have St. Michael's, to have this community of people, to have this history of God working in our life. And we wake up and we think this is default. No, default is suffering by yourself in depression and anxiety. Remember what God has done in your life. 
And we eat it with our belt fastened, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you eat it in haste. Once again, it's the same message we get in the New Testament. Put on the armor of God. Be ready to go. I was thinking about what I do in the mornings. Am I ready for the day? Ready for God to show up and ready to love those that I encounter. And those are the preparations. That's what they're going to do during Passover. They're going to eat this stuff. They're going to stay in their house. They're going to have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And Yahweh is going to pass over. So in Exodus 12, beginning in verse 12, it says, It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the good gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Ultimately, while God's judging the gods of Egypt... For the Egyptians, he's also judging them for the Israelites. Because when you worship your own success, your own time, your own money, what you do is you sacrifice your children to a false god. We actually see this happen fairly frequently. Uh, you know, you, go, you, you see the kids of the famous successful people who become complete and utter failures in their life. Because these people who think that they know what good is, what success and money will get them, they realize that actually doesn't protect their children. And it often opens them up. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche at this point for rich people's kids to be drug addicted or have all these other problems. And we live in Orange County where there's quite a few people, I would argue, who worship success and money. And we see them sending their kids to these prestigious schools and we see their, their whole lives fall apart because ultimately who the father and mother worship will determine the state of their kids. Now, of course, God can save anyone, anywhere. He's so good, he saved me, right? Now, my parents are awesome and loved God and worshiped him, and there's nothing I am more grateful for. I say that very frankly. But what do we need to, today, sacrifice in our own life for the sake of our kids? Because it's all around us. The divorce rates. What's divorce? You can't divorce your spouse and expect that your kids aren't going to be affected. But I'm pursuing my own happiness. I wasn't happy in that marriage. Okay, so you're worshiping a false god and you're sacrificing your children to it. Abortion is the worst possible case scenario. But there's plenty before that. That people are encouraged to do. Or don't get married when you're in your 20s. That's for when you live and enjoy your life. Don't get married till you're 30, maybe 35. You're sacrificing your potential children to your own happiness. Now, I need to clarify all of this and put brackets around it and say, God has a plan for every one of our lives, and it looks different. And the only way you can know whether you're worshiping a false god is by coming before him and asking, confessing your sins, being aware of where you're at. Maybe God hasn't called you to be married when you're 35. Maybe God didn't call you to have kids. Maybe blah, 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 blah. I know there are exceptions. But I will tell you this. Our culture spends every waking day telling you that your happiness 
is what matters. Your time is what matters. And we have to actually fight that and organize our lives around the story of God's time and God's purposes. Otherwise, our kids suffer. So we'll end here and we'll just say, we'll end with Pharaoh's response. God comes, he takes the firstborn. And there's a cry in Egypt, they say, like has never been heard, as you might imagine. And Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron by night and says, up, go out from my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go serve Yahweh, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said. Be gone and bless me also. Oh, is Pharaoh learning his lesson? What is happening here? He's been spanked all over the book and he keeps turning his back. He says, oh, stop the plague and I'll let you go. And he says, psych, you stop the plague, but I'm not letting you go, right? He keeps playing this game. Has he finally learned? He even says, bless me as you're serving God. Pray for me. We learn next week that he does not learn his lesson. In fact, Pharaoh is the powerful coward who is more than willing to bully and demand what he wants when he thinks he's in the lead. But as soon as he sees the tide turning, he, he, he ducks out. He says, no, I'm not playing this game. You're right. God's more powerful. But he never learns his lesson. And I talked a little bit last week, like, what is happening in Pharaoh's mind? And I just want to tell you, if you're honest with yourself, you understand Pharaoh. Because I know that there have been places in my life where over and over again, God reminds me, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you messed up, and yet I keep returning to that same behavior because I want it my way. So as we think today, and all of today has been about the sacrifices that God calls us to make, let's remember that ultimately the sacrifice has been made for us. The grace is freely offered. That the invitations to lay down your own life, your own things that you want, are with the guarantee of God's goodness, resurrection, and joy already bought for you. In fact, we're dedicating, we're baptizing this baby this morning into the kingdom of God. This baby did nothing to earn it. I don't know, Eric, has this baby earned it yet? I don't think so. This baby has not done anything to earn the membership in the family of God. And when we talk about laying things down, what we're talking about is, okay, you're in this kingdom. Let me teach you how to have joy, life. Again and again in scripture, there's a choice between you, life and death. Choose life. You're in the family. You're in the kingdom. Live like it. Amen? Amen. Well, the candidates for baptism will now be presented if we want to bring the family and the baptism forward. Yeah, sadly. I'll do those, yeah. So if you want to just help with the water. All right. Kids, too, are they hiding downstairs? They're coming. Okay. All right. We got water. We're all set. Okay.
One more minute. This is a second granddaughter I got to baptize this summer alone. Just just counting this summer. This has been a really a baptism summer. One of the best. Lots of folks this summer. Great moments. Great moments. The candidate for holy baptism will now be presented. I present Rachel Elaine Reed to receive the sacrament of baptism. Will you be responsible for seeing that the child you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life? I will, with God's help. Will you, by your prayers and witness, help this child to grow into the full stature of Christ? I will, with God's help. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of, wickedness, forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce them. Do you renounce all sinful de- desires that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Do you turn to Jesus and accept him as your Savior? I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. This is to all of you in the congregation. Will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support Rachel in her life in Christ? We will. Let us join with those who are committing themselves to Christ and renew our own baptismal covenant. Please stand. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers? I will with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will with God's help. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? I will, with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being, born and unborn? I will, with God's help. Let us now pray for this person who is to receive the sacrament of new birth. Deliver her, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. Lord, hear our prayer. Open her heart to your grace and truth. Lord, hear our prayer. 
Fill her with your holy and life-giving spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Keep her in the faith and communion of your holy church. Lord, hear our prayer. Teach her to love others in the power of the spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Send her into the world and witness to your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Bring her to the fullness of your peace and glory. Lord, hear our who are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your Son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. We've got a tortoise out here. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt and into the land of promise. In it, your son, Jesus, received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. By it we share in his resurrection. Through it we are born by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into this fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who are here cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That's you, Father Bob. Right up here. Grab this baby. Here, you hold this right here. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey, Guess what? <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. Rachel Elaine Reed, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right, she's taking that really well. And I dumped it on there, too, to make sure this works. <laughs> Rachel, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water and by the Holy Spirit, you have bestowed upon this, your servant, the forgiveness of sin. (laughs) And have raised her to the new life of grace. Sustain her, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give her an inquiring and discerning heart. The courage to will and to persevere. A spirit to know and to love you. 
and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Amen. Amen. Let us welcome the newly baptized. We receive you in the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal nourishment. All right. This is the light of Christ. Receive it and walk in it. That's for her. You can hold it. <laughs> and this stool here, Rachel, is to mark your membership as a priest in the kingdom of God. Yes. A priest and a princess, Amen. I would say, because we're priests and kings. <laughs> the peace of the Lord be always with you. And with, with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. Amen. Announcements. What's that? Go ahead to get the announcement. Yeah. Um, the Feast of St. Michael's is coming up. So mark your calendars. It's happening. Uh, I think you need to bring dessert and drinks. I'm not that thirsty, so bring dessert. <laughs> uh, we are not going to meet as uh, the men's meeting is not going to happen this Saturday. We're not going to. We've been working so hard, <laughs> and we've done a lot of work here. The pergola out there, bathrooms, other things. It's. Uh, I'm really grateful to all the work that so many men have done over the summer. Um, but I will say, if the feast of St. Michael's is going to be celebrated on Sunday the second. Uh, you, several of you men probably ought to meet me here on Saturday about 10 a.m. to move tables. I would appreciate that help. The Saturday before the feast, about 10 a.m., help me move tables. What else? Is there anything else on our upcoming? We have the men's retreat coming up, so there's information for that now. Um, we're going back to the mountains, which is always a blessed time. God always meets us there. Amen. The one other thing I wanted to highlight... Uh, my home group is starting up again this week, but I just wanted to remind everyone, if you're not in a home group, it's pretty awesome. You get together with people, you meet Amen. and hear what God's saying. And so if you're not in a home group, you don't know where you should be, talk to me, talk to Eric, talk to my dad, Father Powell, you know the people, and we'll get you in a home group because it's been really, I've been super blessed by that and I'm excited to start up again. Amen. Amen. Very good. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. 
That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way when there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. 
So come, you who have much faith, and you who have little. You who have been here often, and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow, and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave you thanks and praise, gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. 
Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen and Doug, Tammy, Denisa, Daniel, Ron, Bob, Henry, David, Lucian, Eric, Nicholas, Dave, Steve, Donna, the Madison and White families, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world with peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world seeking the ruin of souls. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you. God is not mad at you. and God will never leave you or forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. Rejoicing in the life-changing power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.